We started this morning in considering Acts chapter 10 and the 36th verse, where Peter said to Cornelius and his household of kinsmen and friends, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. We want to make sure that he is Lord of all because that same Savior said in Luke chapter 6, Why call ye me Lord? Lord. Why call ye me Lord? And keep not the sayings I give unto you. We show that he is Lord by keeping his commandments. And what we want to do in the few minutes that we have left is to remind ourselves of how extensive that is in the word of God. Last Lord's Day... Looking from Micah chapter 6, we spoke of children and parents, husbands and wives, but it certainly applies just as well when we deal with the issue of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of our marriages. He tells us exactly how we are to conduct ourselves. He tells our children how to obey parents. He tells parents how to train their children. And we'll not take the time for those verses right now, but... The Lordship of Jesus Christ extends to every one of them. He is Lord of your marriage. You wouldn't be able to figure marriage out if you were given a thousand years in a padded room with lots of food. You would not figure it out. He designed marriage. He instituted it. And he governs it by the rules he gives in the Bible. He is Lord of marriage. And when you're in the privacy of your bedroom, you are among a crowd. You are not alone in your bedroom. You're not alone in your house. And children, you should remember this. When you're in your bedroom and you've closed the door and you think that what you can say or think things about your parents, the Lord Jesus Christ is there by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us and the room has angels in it because He is the Lord of hosts. So you're not alone. When you're in your bedroom, the Lord Jesus Christ is there by His Spirit. You have the Spirit in you and your spouse, and there are angels present. He is Lord of hosts, and He's Lord of our marriages, and He's Lord of our families. And we better remember that He's Lord on the job. He is there as well. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We want to remember those things. He's Lord of citizens. He's Lord of church members. He's Lord of ministers. He's Lord of sex. You wouldn't be able to figure that out either. In the way that it's to be figured out because the Lord ordained it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Jesus is Lord of sex. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Please turn to it with me. And let's impress ourselves with the Word of God on this subject. There's many more. We'll touch a few of them. May we go from this place remembering words like, Take my life and let it be. You know, that was a pretty good sermon in itself. Six verses dealing with various aspects of our lives and how He is Lord of them all. And we want to say to Him, Take my life. Take this part of it. Take my intellect. Take my hands. Feet. Take my money, my silver, my gold. Take my will, take my love. We sang it all. That's the purpose of today, is to remind ourselves that Jesus, our Savior, is Lord of our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, meats, verse 13, sorry, verse 13. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. 
I want the second sentence. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. That is a wonderful verse. Your body isn't yours. It's for the Lord. And because your body's dying, I'm thankful for the last part as well. The Lord is for the body because he's going to save mine and he's going to save yours. Now, the body is not for fornication. This body that God's given us is not for casual sex. It's not for partying. It's not for use sexually outside of marriage. Period. Because the Lord said so, and Jesus is Lord of sex. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And as you read down through these verses, verse 14 tells us about the Lord raising up our bodies. He's going to do it. By his own power, he tells us in verse 15 that our bodies are the members of Christ. How can we take the members of Christ and join them to a harlot? And he goes on to say to flee fornication in verse 18. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, outside the body, different than this particular sin. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye are not your own. This is the issue of what we're dealing with this morning, and that we want to remember when we walk out the door, we are not our own. We are His. He created us, and He saved us. We're twice His. We've been bought, because the final verse goes on to say, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, you may have heard these verses in here. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And as deep as most pulpits get, this verse was to condemn cigarette smoking or drinking. And it never even entered the mind of the Apostle Paul that cigarette smoking or drinking was what he had under consideration in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He tells you exactly what he has under consideration. Sex sins, fornication, joining your body to a harlot. That is a moral transgression of God's law that takes the body he created for you and corrupts it by sin. There isn't a thing in here about eating too much cherry pie or about smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol. They miss the whole point of the passage. They corrupt the word of God. Know exactly what it's talking about when it says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Which is what he has said, that when you commit fornication, you take your body that's a member of Christ, you take your body that has the Holy Spirit in it, and you join it to some pervert, pagan, or harlot. And you shouldn't do that, because he's Lord of sex. He invented sex. He knows more about sex than you'll ever figure out. He designed it. He ordained it. He blessed it. He sanctified it. He honored it. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. Go for it. It's what the Bible would say. It's what the Lord would say. And it's honorable. But whoremongers, sex outside of marriage, and adulterers, sex between married people that aren't married to each other, God shall judge. He's Lord of sex. The world can talk all they want to about it's my body, it's my body, and I can do whatever I want with it. Find that in the Bible. 
We just read the passage that condemns that. Your body is not your own. Your body is the Lord's, and he is Lord of your body. And it started out by saying that in verse 13. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And I think that's a wonderful relationship. If we give our bodies for the, to the Lord, the Lord's going to take care of our bodies. And he asks us to give our bodies a living sacrifice. That means we deny ourselves and we don't indulge ourselves in the wicked, sinful, unsatisfying pleasures that the world offers. We limit them to the pleasures that satisfy, as that God approves, because he's Lord of sex. Thank you, Lord, for passages like that. He's Lord of clothing. It's about time for America to start undressing. It's spring. It's April. You two that from Florida, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Nobody wears clothes in Florida any time of year. That's a pagan, sick state. They think that because they have a gulf on one side, an ocean on the other, and sand on both shores, that they can live in the nude. Any trip to Florida and you see the difference. You know, you need to come from Michigan or Alaska or Iceland. And people wear clothes because it's cold. And, you know, we live in between, and we're, we're at springtime, and the clothes start coming off. And every girl, every woman needs to remember that the rest of the world can disrobe. I wasn't picking on you two. You know that. I was picking on the state you live in. I've been to that state. whole different attitude about going to the grocery store than the rest of the country. But it's bad enough in our own city. Right. He is Lord of Clothing. You want to hear him? First Timothy chapter 2. This is uh, the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ extends to every part of our lives. That song we sang, Take My Life and Let It Be, it had six verses, but I think we could write another 20 or 30 for it. Right. Take my clothes and let them be. Modest and pure, O Lord, for thee. Don't let me ask me to go any further. <laughs> but that's what we need to do every part of our lives. And, and you want to show your manhood as a man? Then your wife should be dressed modestly and your daughters should be dressed modestly. That's showing us your manhood. The fact that you can yell at your children or yell at your wife, that shows you're a little child. Show us your manhood when your wife comes out or your daughter comes out in something that's a little too revealing and you're able to say to her, please go back in and change into something else that is not modest enough. That is man, that's a man. And they may scowl and they may roll their eyes once, if you're a real man. But you correct it. That's your manhood. Show it to the whole church. Show it to the Lord. So men, don't think that I'm, I'm leaving you to focus on the women right now. I'm really focusing on you. Right. Most women aren't bright enough when it comes to clothing. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that factually. You're not bright enough to know what is tempting to a man's eyes. And so a man needs to make those decisions because he knows because he's a man. Please do your duty. First, First Timothy chapter 2. The, he's Lord of clothing. Verse 9. First Timothy 2, 9. In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but, which becometh women professing godliness, with good works. 
Let women adorn themselves, make the emphasis of their getting dressed, the good works they put on, and the meek and quiet spirit they have, I'm taking from 1 Peter chapter 3, rather than the outward things of hair, accessories, clothing. Let your apparel be modest. It is a whore and a harlot that wears harlot's clothing around in public. If you want to wear tight jeans, then wear them at home for your husband. But don't wear them in public where other men see you. It's the corruption of our nation. Tight jeans show off way too much. They show off your bottom, your thighs, the proportion to each other, your crotch. It shows all that off in a pair of tight jeans. You don't have any right wearing anything like that in public. Because he's the Lord of clothing. And he tells you not to wear clothing like that. Look at Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. This isn't a sermon on clothing. This is a sermon about a whole lot of things, including clothing. But it's that time of year. He's the Lord of straight skirts. Leave them in the closet. He's the Lord of tight sweaters. Leave them in the closet. He's the Lord of cropped tops. Leave them in the closet. He's the Lord of low riders. Leave them in the closet. No better yet. Use my fireplace or yours is what I really meant. I'll catch up with myself eventually. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10. Solomon has this long parable about a young, foolish man being seduced by an experienced adulteress. Proverbs 7.10, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. There are clothes that a woman can wear to draw attention to her body. Clothes are worn to conceal the body. They tried fig leaves in the Garden of Eden and it wasn't good enough. The Lord made them coats. They had aprons made out of fig leaves and it wasn't good enough. An apron, go look it up. It doesn't cover everything that a coat does. That's why I like coming from the north. They wore coats up there in uh, New Hampshire, didn't they, Joel? Coats. The Lord made them coats of skins. Clothing is to conceal, not to reveal. We have clothing today that not only reveals, it accentuates and exaggerates and draws attention to. With darts and nips and tucks here and there and vertical lines on a straight skirt on a shapely woman. It moves like nothing else moves in the whole world. But no one should see that except her husband. You need to let your husband be your rear view mirror. Because you can't see it. You stand there in front of that mirror and you all do it because we see you with enough paint on your face to know that you were in front of that mirror. But you're looking at this and there's other parts of you that need to be concealed and and covered up so that no one else is moved by them. He's the Lord of clothing. You know what Isaiah chapter 3 sounds like? I won't even take you there, but it's, it's 10 or 12 verses long where the Lord of hosts went through every accessory and tool and device that the women had under the Old Testament, and we don't have anything on them. It's one long, exhaustive list of devices, tools, and accessories that women used, and the Lord condemned them and said He was going to strip them. And their enemies were going to come in and take advantage of them because they were haughty women 
that walk that walk with a mincing walk. An exa- what is a mincing walk? An exaggerated step to show off things you shouldn't be showing off. And that's why we don't like high heels. He's the Lord of high heels because high heels do that for you. All a high heel does is when you take a walking motion, it sticks a hip out farther than it would otherwise if you were in flats. How many go-go bars do you think there are in the world where the women wear flats? It takes about a, it takes about a second grade's education and intelligence to figure out what is modest and what is immodest clothing. We don't want a book of do's and don'ts. We don't want a book of black and whites. We want a list of things that can go through your mind and realize God is Lord of my clothing, but Jesus Christ is Lord of my clothing, and I should be careful in all these things. Right. May the Lord bless us to press toward, I'd rather be more conservative than too liberal. Why do we want to see how close we can get to the line Let's be conservative and please the Lord because we're going to stand before Him and we want to labor, whether present or absent, that we may be accepted of Him. We want to be accepted of the Lord Jesus Christ and you women to be accepted of the Lord Jesus Christ had better wear modest clothing. If you like hot pants, wear them at home. Your husband will probably like them too. But don't go into public in anything like that. Don't wear those shimmering little slacks that they make now do you know how much time they spend on those shimmering little slacks so that it could show your bottom moving back and forth every man knows exactly what i'm talking about and all a woman can say is it feels so good against my skin they because they don't have a they don't have a clue equal to a man's eyes that's enough on that subject for the time being lord help us and give us wisdom Husbands, it's your responsibility. Do you know he's the Lord of time? Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. He's the Lord of time. Your time is not your own. There's 24 hours in a day. How many minutes? 1,440. How many hours in a week? 168. What's a 1% tithe of a day's time? 14 minutes and 40 seconds, 1%. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. If you gave the Lord just 1% of your time, it's 14 minutes and 40 seconds. If you were to give Him 10% of your time, it's 2 hours and 24 minutes. He is Lord of your time. You always have time to do His will. You always have time to put Him first. If you don't, it's because you have changed your priorities. And you need to change them back. When someone says, I just don't have time, that's your fault, not God's. Change your priorities. Change your obligations. Because look at Colossians 4, 5, where it says, Very shortly, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. We have limited time, and it's racing out. The sands are running through, and we are going to be over with our lives very quickly. And we need to give the Lord our time, His assemblies, the Word of God, prayer, devotions with our children, confession of our sins, music, singing, time with the brethren, hospitality. All those things are claims on our time, but He's Lord of our time. And He tells us that we must give those things up. This Saturday is an opportunity to take some of your time. 
but you get to give it to the Lord in a way that also helps a brother. We're going to move a brother. If enough show up, it'll be easy. We can give a little bit of time. And so we give back to the Lord some time in a way that He's shown us and told us to help and serve one another. So we do that. He's Lord of time. Much more could be said. So much more could be said about our time. And the Lord tells you, I, we, we got to say a little bit more. First Corinthians chapter seven. I look through the string of references and I realize there's so much that can be said about just time. First Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 29, this is a marriage and divorce chapter, but it it tells us in here of how we should live with our time allocated in the Lord first. To help you understand the context, look at like a verse like 33. He that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Verse 32 tells us, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Notice that whether you're married or not is going to have an impact on how you treat the Lord. But I want verse 29. This I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. For all those of you that are married, be as though you didn't have one. That means make time for the Lord even though you are married. Be as though you weren't married. You are married, you have obligations toward your spouse, but live in such a way as if you weren't married. It looks like you're not married in that you make time for the Lord yourself. That is how these verses are to be understood. Watch. This I say, brethren, the time is short, it remaineth. Here's how we handle it, since the time is short, that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep, don't let weeping consume you if you've got something sad going in your life. As though they wept not. Be as if you weren't weeping. Control your weeping. Regulate it. Prioritize it. Keep it in its proper place. And they that rejoice, be... I'm adding it. I'm adding it because it's to be elliptically understood in each of these clauses. And they that rejoice, be as though they rejoice not. Don't get too joyful and too excited about something in your life. Keep it all in its proper place. And they that buy... Be as though they possessed not. If you've got money and you're out shopping and buying, you make sure you keep it in a, in a ruled and regulated part of your life so that it's almost as if you didn't possess anything. Verse 31. And they that use this world, be as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. You know what all of that was to say? The next verse tells us. I would have you without carefulness. We are to so regulate our lives that we do not get filled up with anxiety, care, concern, worry, and fear about anything, but we keep it regulated so that we always have time for the Lord because the time is short. He is Lord of time. He's Lord of your music. He says when you're merry, what should you do? Sing psalms. That's James chapter 5 and verse 13. He's the Lord of books. Look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. What do you read? He is the Lord of books. You better be reading things that are profitable for your soul. Acts chapter 19. Paul's in the city of Ephesus. There's a bunch of devil worship going on there. They claim to be worshiping the great goddess Diana that fell out of the sky. But they're devil worshipers. 
And Paul preached, and it tells us in verse 18, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Verse 19, many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. This is the effect that Jesus as Lord has on people. They brought their books and burned them. These books had to do with sorcery, witchcraft, and how to operate a Ouija board. Burned them before all men. And the word of God prevailed. He is Lord of books. You say, well, what should I be reading? Go to Philippians chapter 4 and let's see if we can't get a principle there that will help us with books, magazines, television, and the internet. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. That knocks out 90% of the internet. Whatsoever things are honest, another 5%. Whatsoever things are just, another percent. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is a spiritually minded, heaven-oriented, Christ-loving child of God. This is a principle. It's a rule. I didn't make it up. I didn't stick it in the Bible. God stuck it there. The Lord put it there. And the Lord said, this is a good principle of what you should think about. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue or praise in them, think about those things. You say, well, what, what would qualify? I'll start you out with a book that's got 1,189 chapters. <laughs> This is a good book to think about. This is a good book to read. You say, I've read it before. If you promise to read it again, you'll learn a whole lot of new things. And you'll remind yourself of the 95% of the things you forgot from the first reading. This is a spiritually minded Christian. He is Lord of books. We had a book burning in the Bible. Books were expensive back then. You didn't print a book as easily as you can today. There was a book burning because he is Lord of books. He's Lord of television, brethren. And that verse right there, Philippians 4, 8, applies to television as well as it applies to anything. David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Do you know what that means our attitude ought to be toward Hollywood? I hate Hollywood. Do you hate Hollywood? I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. It is not going to stick to me, touch me, or influence my life. It's not going to be around me, on me, or touching me. I hate the work of them that turn aside. When was the last time that they could, they could even imagine producing a movie that exalted, honored, promoted a good relationship between a husband and a wife? They can't do it because they've never seen one. Anyone dysfunctional enough to go live, work in Hollywood didn't come from a family. And the people that live there don't have families. They divorce on such a regular basis. They're substance abusers. They're dysfunctional livers. They're messed, they're, they're messed up. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Romans 1.32, after listing through all those sins, the Apostle Paul said, who knowing the judgment of God, 
that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. You know, you may not be an adulterer. You may not be a sodomite. But you watch television that glorifies it, and you are guilty right along with them, according to Romans 1.32. He's the Lord of television. He's the Lord of your friends. He determines who your friends are. You don't. You don't know how to pick a friend unless you measure that friend with a Bible. If that friend isn't helping you be a better Christian, that is someone you do not need as a friend. It doesn't matter what they add to your life. If they do not help you be a better Christian, you do not need them as a friend. You might use them as a business acquaintance, but you do not need them as a friend. A friend is someone that you open yourself up to and you're vulnerable to and you have companionship with them and you walk with them because you're in agreement about something. And if they're not making you a better Christian, they aren't good enough to be your friend. Evil communications, corrupt good manners, all of this, these, this practical list that I'm going through and I'm only hitting a few points is because Jesus is Lord of all. And if you hang around those that don't make you a better Christian, I can guarantee you what you'll be one year from now. A worse Christian. You will not stay the same. Because evil communications corrupt good manners. You should aim as high as you can in spiritual character for all of your Christian friends, even within this church. Not everyone in this church is worthy of having as a friend. Because they're not, they don't even act like Christians themselves, nor do they help you become a better Christian. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it always will be. And you do not wish it were different than that, even one half of how much I do. Who are your friends? You want to be around those that live and speak and love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. So that they are living and speaking and helping you make sure that Jesus is Lord of your clothing. Jesus is Lord of your speech. Jesus is Lord of your money. Jesus is Lord of the way you work on the job. Jesus is Lord of your parenting. Jesus is Lord of the way you treat your, parent, your, your parents because you're a child. All of those things. You want to be around that kind of a friend. I've read these verses before to you, but it's the Word of God and we need reminding because that's what Peter said we needed. Look at Psalm 119. Please, Psalm 119. You know where 1 Corinthians 15.33 came from and what it said. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. He's the Lord of our friends. David was totally committed to it. While you're turning to Psalm 119, let me read to you a few verses from Psalm 101. Yeah, that's where he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Here's, here, he, he kept right on going. A froward heart shall depart from me. Anyone that's froward, perverse, difficult, obnoxious, argumentative, so forth. A, a froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. But he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. 
There's good friends, bad friends. And David is just saying, I want these and I can't stand those. And every one of those I'm going to get out of my life, out of my house. I don't want them around. I won't even let them work for me. That's what he said. Psalm 101. These are the ones. I'm going to put my eyes on them. And they're the ones I want around me. Psalm 119, look at verse 63. I've used it many times. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. This is the word of God. This is Jesus Christ the Lord saying how you should measure a friend. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. All my friends are those that fear God. All my friends are those that keep God's precepts. He is Lord of your friends. If you were to pick friends like that, what would happen to your life? You'd be elevated because you'd be around all these good godly people that are lifting you up. And not everyone that says they're good and godly is good and godly. We measure them by the word of God. This is very carefully defined here. Those that truly fear God and keep his precepts. How about verse 79? Psalm 119, verse 79. Let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. David saying, I'll take a few more friends, but here's the kind of friends I want added to me. Verse 79, let those that fear God and those that have known his testimonies. Jesus is Lord of your friends. You don't have a right to pick your friend. Right. You don't know how to pick a friend. Outside. You say, well, I just, they just understand me. They understand you? No, they don't. They don't even understand themselves. Bring them to me for lunch. I'll buy you both lunch someplace and we'll find out if they even understand themselves. I'll tear their insides out with the word of God. They don't know anything. If you bring some ungodly friend for lunch, I'll show them they don't know anything. You want someone that understands you? The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Amen. And because he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only friend that understands you. No one understands you because you are perverse, corrupt, and twisted. Selfish. That's what we all are by nature. I'm no different than you. I'm not attacking you any more than I'm attacking me. That's just a ridiculous thought. They understand me. No, they don't. They don't even understand themselves. Bring them to me. You can watch. The, The men in this congregation can do just as well. But I want first crack. Then I'll show you the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever felt lonely? He was despised and rejected of men. He knows loneliness you've never even imagined. You are not alone in any sense of the word compared to Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, I sound so worked up and upset. To even say such a thing is a disgrace. There's no friend like the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't even say those words Gently. He understands me or she understands me. No, they don't. They don't even understand themselves. The twisted little perverts. That's what we all are by nature. Right. That's right. We are so... Do you know what the... You say, where is that in the Bible? You're getting so nasty about people. Well, here's what Paul said about himself in Titus. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. That's twisted. 
serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's a pretty good indictment. And do you know who those two people were? Paul and Titus. Titus 3.3. And you've never met anyone as good as Paul and Titus. He's Lord of your friends. If you don't know who to pick as your friend, then come and ask me. And we'll go through the church directory and find some. We may have to hunt for a while, but we'll look through it carefully. He is the Lord of... I've got to get one or two more in here. He is the Lord of moods. Do you think you have a right to be in a bad mood? Nope. Find that for me in the Bible. He is the Lord of your moods. He tells you in Philippians 4.4, 4, joy is a nice option. Is that what it says in Philippians 4.4? 4? No. In my King James Bible, it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you ain't rejoicing, you have a spiritual problem. God doesn't have a problem and no one else has a problem. You have a problem. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you're cast down right now, then ask God to deliver you out of it and stand up and get joyful. There's one million things that we can be joyful about. And if you can't think of any of them, email me. I'll send you the top ten. And you can fill out the other 999,990. There's a million things to be thankful for and to be rejoicing over. Amen. You know, when our, when our souls say to us and we're able to look at ourselves and realize that we're cast down a little bit, we ought to ask ourselves what David would say. My soul, why art thou cast down within me? Why art thou cast down? God shall yet be the hope of my countenance and my strength. We get out of it. We pray ourselves out of it. There's too much. The man that doesn't rule his spirit is like a city with the walls broken down. He's vulnerable to anything. But a man that does rule his, city, rule his spirit is greater than a man who can take a city by himself. Here's a short verse for you. People tell me that John 11.35 is the shortest verse in the Bible. And I guess in syllables it may be, but here's the next shortest. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Amen. The Bible's concise, isn't it? Two words. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice. That is to be joyful, thankful, and full of gladness about what God has done for you and about everything in your life. Forever. Rejoice evermore. You are not the Lord of your moods. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your moods. Choose to be joyful. Happiness is a choice. It's not a feeling that overtakes you. I know all about moods. I know all about being discouraged. I know all about being able to plunge mentally into this thing where I say to myself, I can't do it all The the words will actually form up here in this twisted nightmare of wiring and will say, you're so discouraged. You're so discouraged, nothing's working out. You might as well just give up. Life's pitiful. That's just twisted thinking because there's a God in heaven and everything is perfect. And it's just because I've wandered away from him, got my eyes off him, that I see the winds and the waves and I'm not looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of my faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and laughed at the whole thing and is enjoying the pleasures of heaven forevermore. And that's what we're all supposed to be doing. He is the Lord of our moods. He's the Lord of your anger. You do not have a right to get angry unless you are getting angry for a very righteous cause. And even then, you better be able to justify why you're getting angry even for a righteous cause. Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. He's in danger of breaking the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. He is Lord of your anger. Now, I know that anger is often our Lord because it springs up so fast and it's so powerful that it takes us over, but it should not take us over because he is Lord of our anger. And the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The Bible says, wherefore, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. He is the Lord of contentment. Are you content? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, who hath said, Jesus our Lord, he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. On those grounds, we can be content with any situation in life. Jesus is Lord of contentment. What is your lifestyle? He is Lord of your lifestyle. It better be a Christian one. How often are you praying? He is Lord of prayer. He tells you to pray without ceasing. He tells you to continue instant in prayer. Prayer is to be an important part of your life because Jesus is Lord of prayer. It is not an option for us. It's something he commands us to do. Well, how do you sum it up? Jesus is Lord of all. I just hit a few of them. By the grace of God, I'll show you an outline, and it'll be out there on the Internet in the next few hours where we can look and see that Jesus is Lord of all aspects of our lives, taught right here in the Word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, and let's sing a, a, a fitting song in closing. Number 591 in our red hymnals. 591 in our red hymnals. Jesus calls us. He calls us because He's our Lord, and we owe Him all that we have. He has created us, and He saved us. May He bless us to give our whole lives to Him. Amen.